everybody. This is Patty Negri, and welcome to The Witching Hour. I'm really excited. I have a really wonderful guest for you today, a little bit different. He is witch and author Jason Makey, and he's going to talk all about the porn, the god of witches. Sounds scary, but it isn't. So make sure you stay tuned. But before we go there, I want to tell you about this week. If you are listening to it when we first drop on the week of August 23rd, I've got one thing to talk about. One really, really big thing to talk about. I'm off to Michigan, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, for the Michigan Paracon. I am so excited. It's like the big kid of the Paracons. Um, I've always wanted to do it, and I'm doing it. And I'm doing two amazing things. On Friday, I am doing a mediumship gallery in this big, beautiful theater. Um, on noon on Friday, for anybody in that Michigan area who, who wants to get there, and they have just added this amazing thing. I am doing a Ouija-Zilla live seance. Yeah. Ouija-Zilla, you say, what is that? It sounds intriguing. It is. It is crazy. Um, I'm going to be doing a seance on the world's largest planchette, that's the little thing you put on top of the Ouija board, on extraordinarily haunted Ouija board supplied by the Talking Board Historical Society. So a really haunted Ouija board, the world's largest planchette, me raising the veil, and to even top it off, we have Reverend Tim Shaw as part of it, and the wonderful Dean Haglund kind of emceeing and uh, live streaming the whole thing as we go. And we are going to live stream it. So those of you here in Michigan, great. And those of you who can't be in Michigan with us, you can watch it. So stay tuned for details. It's either going to be on the My Paranormal Network, on the Michigan Paracon. And you go, what is My Paranormal Network, you say? What? How could you not know what My Paranormal Network is? It is my new home. I am so excited. I am there with Dean Haglund, Bridget Marcour, these amazing people, the, all paranormal. It's a hub for all things paranormal. We've got great contests. We've got great programs. We have great giveaways. And we have some amazing giveaways going right now because we are going to launch the 13 weeks of Halloween. So I mentioned it last week, so it gets more and more. So make sure you go to myparanormal.net and check out because you can win trips to Las Vegas. You can win amazing things I can't talk about yet. You can win my book signed and autographed and a free 30-minute reading with me. So go to myparanormal.net. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. Follow us on all the places for the best, the very best in paranormal. So again, no classes this week, no $10 classes, no Sunday classes. Everything's going to be in Michigan with me and some of the most amazing people in the whole paranormal world. So Michigan Paragon and my paranormal network. See you there. Okay, it's time for the Willow Report. Ha! My update this week is I'm leaving her. For four whole days, maybe five. I've never left her before. I'm scared to death. She's going to miss her mommy. I'm scared to death. Mommy's going to miss her. I'm mostly scared she's going to eat the house while I'm gone. I mean, staying with daddy is great, but staying with daddy is like staying with the, the uncle or the grandma or the babysitter who doesn't care what you do. <laughs> He's going to give her treats that she's not supposed to have. He's going to treat her really great. 
and I may not have a house when I get back. So please, please keep Willow in your thoughts. Keep baby Willow happy and not eating anything like my hand. Her trainer says, don't let her chew on your hand. Don't let her bite you. No, no, we don't. We don't. I don't know why she's going so slow in puppy school. Oh, anyway, real report is I am going away. The last time, the only other time I went away was when I went to Nevada City and we were filming at the Hotel Leger. I got to take her with her. It was her very first trip, her first car trip, and she did really great in her first hotel. But this one, she doesn't get to go. She hasn't flown yet, and this is way too big. And um, so keep her in your thoughts, this beautiful little girl, that she's happy, that she doesn't get scared that she doesn't get any more spoiled than she already is, and that she doesn't eat the house while I'm gone. Till next week, here's the Willow Report. Bye! Give me my hand back. Oh, kiss it. Oh, now you kiss me. For this week's magic, since we are doing with Jason, and he, the horn god usually hangs out outside, so I thought I would do a little bit of outside magic. Outside magic. Yeah, it means could be hugging a tree if you're so inclined. But we do often spend a lot too much in the house. And for most of us, there's pretty decent weather out there now, whether a daytime walk or an evening stroll. And honestly, there is nothing like nature to connect to the earth, to connect to magic, to connect to your and balance your own self. So why not get outside, take a walk, take a walk in nature or around the block. You know, you don't have to always lay down and meditate. Maybe you want to go step by step and, and take things into perspective. See what's working for you in your life. See what's not working for you. You know, get some ideas about it. And then maybe, just maybe, you want to find a really nice big tree. Sit down under the big tree. Trees are the information keepers. Trees are ancient. Trees have roots that reach deep into the earth and branches that can touch the sky. Trees They've always been holy. They've always been sacred. Look at the Kabbalistic tree, the tree of life in every belief system. So sit your butt right down on the ground. Put your backbone along that tree and then just listen. Ask for wisdom. Listen to the tree, what it has to tell you. It kind of knows everything. You know, trust what you hear. Contemplate. Negotiate. Have a great conversation. Release whatever is not serving you. And release whatever is not serving you, maybe... You want to get rid of it. Maybe you want to write it on a leaf, a leaf. And if there's any water nearby, throw it into a stream. But what if you don't have a leaf? What if you don't have water nearby? Get some bubbles. You know those little kind of bubbles that you love when you're a little kid? Maybe you can't light fire. Maybe you don't have a stream. Maybe you don't have anything to do. But go get go to the, the, the drugstore and get yourself some bubbles. Bubbles have this beautiful air element. So what about all the things you want to release? You put into the bubbles and you blow them into the room. You blow them into the air. You will see the shiny little bubbles going and you just, and they pop and you've gotten rid of them. And so then you get rid of them and then you have all this space in your body. And then you go, well, maybe I want to add some new things. Now I want to add a little more health or a little bit of more money or a little bit of more love or a little bit more abundance. Get right back into those bubbles, stir it clockwise a couple times, get it out. As you're blowing into those bubbles, your breath is your life force. It's your pneuma. Even the moisture in your breath is your free will. So come up with what you want. I'm blowing abundance into these bubbles, and then you are sending it off to the universe. I am blowing 
a new job, a new love, health, happiness, all the things you want safely, ecologically, magically, and powerfully. Magic does not have to be hard. It does not have to be complicated. You don't have to have a lot of expensive things. You need your intent. You need your belief. And you just need a little bit of magic. So get outdoors. Hug a tree. Blow some bubbles. Ride on a leaf. Find your magic. Magic is everywhere. You do just have to look sometimes. And now without further ado, speaking of outdoors, magic, and magical, magical things, I'm going to bring to you my wonderful guest, Jason Makey. So without further ado, welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Patty. It's really an honor to be here, and I hope that I can live up to that introduction. No, you can. Look at you. And again, your book is beautiful. Um, so is this your deity of choice? Do you work with the, the... So how did this book come around? So I've been working with the Horn God for over 20 years. I got into witchcraft because of the goddess. I wanted to be in a goddess religion. I wanted to have that divine feminine in my life. And for three years, I avoided anything having to do with male deity. And then... All of a sudden, there was just sort of this weird calling, you know, like, please acknowledge me. Please have a relationship with me. And it was very, very insistent. And then I finally broke down and invited this deity to a ritual I was doing. And that was the Horn God. And I've been a devotee ever since. I've been doing workshops on the Horn God for, wow, 20 years, writing about him for a long time. I actually tried to write a version of this book 15 years ago. That was really, really bad. And... The time was just right when I wrote this in 2019. I just felt like he was pushing me to do it, that the time was right, and this needed to get out there in the world. So certainly work with him, have a really great relationship with the Horn God and all of its various forms. That is beautiful. So I think of all of the, the, the pagan deities of witchcraft, probably the most misunderstood by especially outside the craft work. So what are your thoughts on that or how people, oh my God, it's the devil. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one for people to get over. I mean, it took me many years to get over myself. I mean, I think we're conditioned to look at horns with skepticism. It's always the villain in the show with horns. The bad guy has the horns. It's evil. But there's really nothing evil about the horn god at all. The horn god is a symbol of the earth. It's about connecting to the wild spaces. There's also something wild within us that we connect to when we connect with the horn god. We connect with our sexuality. We we connect with accepting joy and pleasure. Sometimes you're told not to enjoy certain things. And the horn god says, yeah, as long as you don't hurt anybody else while you do it, it's completely fine to do. So when you worship the horn god, you tap into those energies, and there's nothing negative or evil about those energies whatsoever. You know, it just takes a while to get used to the appearance because it's a little bit different. But those horns connect him to nature. They connect him to greater ideas. And the idea that horns connect deity to nature is a pretty old one. People have been saying that since about the fourth century at least. So there's a long history of horns and antlers connecting one oneself to the natural world. Right. And a lot of other belief systems don't horn gods used to mean wisdom. Aren't there statues of Moses with horns? You know, there is there's a couple of statues with of Moses with horns. Some people say that might be a biblical tr mistranslation, but I just think it's awesome. I, I'm I <laughs> 
I do too. I think it is awesome too. I like horns. And it, again, I do think the the modern witchcraft movement, the pendulum swing went so goddess oriented, which is great. And there's nothing wrong with it. And again, that is a swing of the pendulum that was probably very needed in spirituality. But I think that swing going back and forth, getting that balance is is been really needed too. When I got into the craft, oh my God, 30 plus years ago, it was God is 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 God the God. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for bringing this in. Thank you for bringing your magic. You read my mind. You say the exact same things I'm thinking, you know, about the pendulum swinging and it was a necessary swing. But at the same time, I think that there needs to be a swing to a kinder, nicer, gentler male figure instead of one who just looms over us and judges us all the time. And I think that's the horn god. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so too. I think so too. And again, it connects us to nature, which we need so much now. For for some reason, not that the goddess isn't earthy and whatever, but just it seems more so. <laughs> At least there's some really interesting things about sort of the uh, re-arrival or sort of the uh, re—I uh, don't know—like the horn god kind of comes back, right? I mean, there's horn gods in pagan antiquity. And then we have this period where horns are really looked down upon and it's all bad things, devil, 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 whatever else. But in the early 19th century, there's this reflowering of horn gods, especially the Greek god Pan in English literature. And to a large degree, it was about a lot what you were saying. It's about that disconnection from nature. People were losing their connection to nature during the Industrial Revolution, and they needed a figure that could represent something greater than themselves that was outside. So they started writing about Pan again, you know. So I think there's a higher power out there kind of pushing that horned god forward, saying, I'm here, I'm your gateway to the drug that is the earth. Come and say hi to me. Yes, yes, because we need it right now in, in the craziness of all. I know in your book you do you start talking about... Uh, but say you go into the nature of deity and then talk about myth and ancient history. So would that, does that, I mean, do you think people need that to step into it to kind of learn the hows and whys? I don't think they need it necessarily. I think it's interesting. I think it's necessary because it kind of helps people get over the fear of antlers and horns. You know, thousands of years ago, people were honoring these things. So you're getting back in touch with your very ancient ancestors. You know, today in our society, nudity is really taboo and phalluses are really taboo sometimes and people venerated the phallus too and that was sometimes something associated with the horn god so i think a lot of that early part of the book is to say hey these things are really okay you know every people did it for a long time let's get back to it right 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 and we do again it is that sense of pleasure and fun and phalluses all that goes hand in hand in our little prudish world that we came became huh that we became. Um, now, I know you do also talk about um, rit uh, rituals to meet the horn god again. So again, I've got a bunch of, well, I've got, you know, old bees and new bees within here. So if somebody's going, okay, I don't know much about this horn god. Uh, what are some things you suggest for people to do to meet him, whether in the full ritualistic or ritual or just in their practice? I think I'm a very good ritualist. I don't like I don't usually toot my own horn too much, but I think I'm a pretty good ritualist. I'm very proud of the rituals in the book. And I think for a lot of us, 
doing a witchcraft ritual in the candlelight, in the dark, in the witching hour. It, it adds magic and power to what we do. So I think rituals are a very great way to tap into things. But at the same time, meeting a deity can be sort of easy if you want it to be easy. I think prayer is kind of a bad word in the witchcraft world. However, praying is the first thing. I mean, and praying really is just talking to deity. It's like, hey, whoring God, I would like to hang out with you in a good way, you know? And then you begin a dialogue. It's like anyone else that you meet. You talk to them when you meet them. I think the gods like to be flattered and they like to be honored. And I don't think the gods are vending machines. So you don't just say, hey, Pan, I want to bring some really great sex into my life. I'm going to worship you. You know, you have to give them something in return. So I think leaving libations, leaving the gods offerings is a good thing to do. Now, offerings don't have to be great big things. You don't ever want to leave your rent as an offering to a deity. <laughs> but if you're sipping on a good whiskey, you can pour a shot of it on the ground and give it to the god that you want to name. Uh, you can share wine. I think they like alcohol. It's a pretty traditional. But you can also share food or even fresh water. What doesn't make a good offering is something that you want to get rid of. Like, oh, I have this cheap can of beer in the back of my fridge that I don't want to drink. I'm going to leave that to the gods. That's kind of an insult. So, yeah. you know, be, do a little bit better than that. But I think leaving them offerings is a good way to do things. And an offering doesn't have to be something physical. It could be writing a poem in honor of a deity. They love that, writing a story and sharing it, taking a picture of them on your altar and putting it up on Instagram. I think the gods are tech savvy, too, you know. So I think those are good good sorts of offerings. Prayer, offerings, doing ritual, and when working magic with deities, too. Invite deities to be with you when you're working magic. I think what makes us all witches is that we do magic. And I think it's like sort of the big binding force that we all have when we practice witchcraft. And I think that the horned god of the witches wants to be in places where people are doing those witchcraft things. So do you incorporate into rituals like we bring into the elements if you're working elemental, okay, the fire and the air and the water. So do you, okay, we need the horn god here, we need the masculine here. And do you do it the same way that we do with everything else? You know, I don't think that you always need the masculine and feminine. And I don't always like completely jump into that, you know, you have to have male, female sort of stuff. And they're even female horn gods. So, I mean, the rules aren't hard and fast. I mean, do I when I do ritual, do I always call earth, air, fire, and water? Yeah, I always do the elemental stuff, and then I invite deity down. I'm very much sort of a Wiccan witch in how I do ritual. I love the process of ritual. I love calling quarters. I love casting the circle and feeling that energy around me. And the, the circle is this great place because it's designed to protect you from outside things that you don't want bothering you during ritual. It's designed to store energy until you want to release it, so it's great for working magic. But it's also meant to be a place between the worlds where as a mortal person, you can be in a realm with deity or your ancestors or other higher powers. And I think that's great. So when I work with the horn god, I often want to be in that circle because I think that circle facilitates that experience. And there's also just something witchy about doing ritual, right? And the, the more witchy you feel, I think the more effective your ritual is going to be. Completely. It's because it's immersive. And I, we do think alike, even if we're finishing each other's sentences and thoughts. Those are literally my thoughts. Exactly. I, I do love ritual. It combines it all. The, the mind, body and spirit psychology would put into it. The creation working dispatch that we do. So it's 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 immersive into the magic that you're doing. Um, ah. Yeah. 
you think about it. I mean, you got your your sight, you know, with the candles and stuff. You you know, you're seeing this thing. You're hearing it sometimes with chants, you know, uh, maybe a drum in the background or something. And we smell it too with the incense. Like I can't imagine ritual without good incense. That incense yeah. immediately transforms me and takes me to a different place. And we always have cakes and ale at the end. So even then, there's a little bit of food. And then. You, you're touching things, you know, you're touching your tools and stuff. I think it indulges all of the senses. I also think that we're just two smart blondes, right? So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we take, blondes take a lot of crap, but maybe, maybe it's not all deserved. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that is beautiful. So how did you even get on your path? Even though it started out a goddess path, how did you find the path at all? The spirituality path? Again, we are all a little left of center. You know, I started like before the internet, you know, you said 30 years ago, I started in the early 90s. So we both go back a ways, you know, and it was really different then. I mean, you really had to either know somebody or just stumble across it in the right place. I grew up in the American South and outside of Nashville, Tennessee, was president of my church youth group. You know, I was not a candidate to be a witch at all, but I'd always been interested in mythology and I'd been interested in different religions and comparative religion and things. And I discovered Led Zeppelin at a young age. And I loved Led Zeppelin. If you know anything about the rock band Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, their guitar player, was into Aleister Crowley and Thelema, which is kind of a precursor to modern witchcraft in a lot of ways. It's a magical tradition. Jim uh, Robert Plant, their lead singer, was interested in Celtic mythology. So when I would find something that referenced Crowley or Celtic mythology i would i would pick it up and read it and when i was 21 i found this book called celtic magic and i thought that it would help me learn more about celtic myth really wasn't about celtic mythology it was really sort of a wicca 101 book at the time and i devoured it in about eight hours like i don't know it's a really tiny book i was at a party so i would party and then i would read this book and then i would go back to the party and then read the book but i'd you know, read it pretty quickly and everything in it just sort of resonated with me at the age of 21. And I remember just a night later saying my evening prayers which my grandmother had, you know, told me and made me memorize a long time ago. And I added the goddess to it for the first time. And I felt like this wave of energy like flow over me and, you know, it felt like home, you know. And so that was it. It was pretty quick. I have Led Zeppelin to blame for a lot of it, really. I love not, that. Which is not like the usual witchcraft origin story. Not the usual origin story. I love that, though. I'm married to a musician. I'm married to a drummer. So that is that is cool. So what did you, again, as a male witch, what do you think of this this new trend? I'm not sure what I think of it. Of a lot of male witches trying to reclaim the, the title warlock as a positive. You know, uh, it's not for me. I like witch. It's, it it feels more apt and fitting. But whatever empowers somebody is, you know, works for them. That's great. I know a couple of people who use the term warlock, and I think it, I think it suits them in a lot of ways. And it, you know, as I said, it works for them. So I think it's great. You know. Right. Well, that's just how we are because we accept everybody. That's our thing. But yeah, I mean, when I first heard it's like, but 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 what? They, I was told that that was a negative. What what what? But no, we're reclaiming. Oh, okay. I you know, but I haven't got used to it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll admit at first I was a little judgmental, you know, when I first started hearing it, you're just like, oh, that person says they're a warlock, you know, I was like, what? But then I got to meet all these people who identify as warlocks and I fell in love with them. So, you know, it's hard. I can't say anything bad about it. And it's hard to imagine them identifying as anything else. 
good. See, it's good. So how did your family, your, your, your Christian upbringing family, how do they deal with you? Or do you? Luckily, my family's not too religious. You know, we went to church, but I think you had to go to church in the American South to some degree. You know, my dad was never an active churchgoer. My grandmother was horrified, though, uh, when she found mm. out. It was really rough. Um, I had to tell her I was a Unitarian Universalist. I mean, and that made her feel better. Because <laughs> they have was, a church. <laughs> but everybody, but since, and, you know, and I loved her, and we never, like, really had bad conversations about it or anything but i was told by others that it really bothered her but you know my family's always been very supportive my father reads all my books which embarrasses me you know because sometimes you know you might write about some personal intimate things with with the wife so you know him reading that is a little embarrassing but my aunt is a writer so she's really encouraging and is really excited that i've had seven Llewellyn books come out in the last few years. So yeah, my family's been great about it, you know, and I know a lot of people don't have that experience. I also never really had bad Christian experiences. You know, some people, you know, have awful, awful experiences, yeah. and I don't mean to discount those, but mine were mostly positive. I was a Methodist church. It's pretty wishy-washy Christianity <laughs> for the <laughs> most part, which makes it a little easier to bear. Right, right. Yeah, no, there's a, a path for everybody. And who are we to judge? Just like, who are they to judge? It's all good. So what are some of your other books for my people going, oh, I like this guy? So I, I got lucky. Llewellyn asked me to write for them. I've been blogging for a while and I knew people who worked there. And my writing had finally gotten to a point where it wasn't atrocious. And they were like, will you write a book? And they asked me to write a book on athames or athames or however anyone mm. wants to pronounce that. And so I sat down, it took me a long time to write this little tiny book about knives and swords and magic. Uh, from there, I wrote a book on the Book of Shadows. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote a book on altars with Laura Tempest Zakroff. Laura Tempest Zakroff is a great author. She's also a great artist. She did the cover for the Horn God She book. did. Yeah, I've talked to Laura Tempest Zakroff. We had her on the show. So I awesome. love Tempest, yeah. Uh, Funny story about Tempest and my wife, and then I'll start talking about books again. No, you know, Tempest on. is also a famous belly dancer, right? And yeah. my wife uh, had belly danced for a long time and did some professional gigs and stuff and was a big fan of Tempest's. And the first time I met Tempest, you know, we just started talking, you know, and I just kind of sat down next to her and talked to her like I'd known her forever. And we got along really well. And my wife's like, Jason, do you know who that is? And I was like, yeah, that's Tempest. And she's like, no, that's Laura Tempest Zakrop. She's a famous belly dancer. <laughs> and, you know, so it was my wife was completely starstruck, which is pretty Aww. funny. And Tempest has been over to our house now a lot of times and we're good friends. But anyway, so I wrote that book with her. And then I didn't want to be called Tool Boy for the rest of my life. So I thought I should branch out and write other things. I wrote a book called Transformative Witchcraft which is about some witchcraft rites that people don't normally talk about. There's a lot in there about the cone of power being initiated and elevated in a tradition, drawing down the moon and the great rite. And there's histories and rituals of all those things. And I'm really proud of that. And I wrote a seasonal book with seasonal rituals and histories of the Sabbaths called the Witch's Wheel of the Year. There's three Sabbaths for every ritual, one for solitaries, one for covens, and one for large public groups. And then I wrote Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule because I love Yuletide. That's my favorite time of year. I know a lot of witches prefer Samhain, but Samhain. I, yeah, I, I think Yule has even more magic, though I love Samhain too for its own 
its own reasons. And then from there, the Horn God. And then in March, the Witch's Book of Spellcraft comes out. <sighs> and yeah, it's a lot of books. That really is amazing. And I love really if you're a ritual. It's, that's good because you're you're a ritual dude. I'm gonna have to look into that ritual one because they are so different. We know okay what this holiday is about or what this the moon cycle. But there is a difference if you're working solitaire, if you're working in a small coven or a large group. I'm doing all this large group and and you kind of have to design it different. It's true, and it's not something that most people really talk about. We, yeah. you know, like if you're a minister at a church, you go to school most of, most of the time to do that, and you're taught how to do certain things. As witches, we're mostly on our own, and we learn through trial and error. And I wish that I'd had a book that told me there are certain things you should not do when you have 100 people at your ritual, and that mm -hmm. there are certain things you should only do when you have 12. And yeah. so I wanted to write a book that addressed that. And ritual is really hard to do, especially public ritual. So I wanted to give people tools to helpfully make that a little easier for them. Because it is. It's so tough. Uh, one of the things, I used to live in Michigan, and I moved to the Bay Area about 10 years ago. And there are a lot of witches in Northern California, where I'm at. But I would go to a lot of really bad rituals, you know, that weren't, people didn't take into account that there were 40 people there instead of 15 and you really learn by watching bad rituals. They're the right. best teaching experience. Right. You can't hear a word they're saying from one. Even the tech, tech, it's like you, you yeah. can't be lost in spirit if you can't hear what they're saying. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes the activity designed will take three hours. Yeah. I, I was at a ritual once and it was, you know, a well-constructed ritual if there had been 25 people there. But the person doing the ritual wanted to challenge everyone at the door there were a hundred people in line just to get in took over an hour by the, you know, I was like the third one in and I had to pee, you know, <laughs> as soon as I got in and I had to, you know, and then I couldn't leave. Everyone would see me. There was only one door in and out. So, you know, by the time the ritual started, I was already like doing the pee pee dance, jumping right. up and down. Yeah. Well, they wanted to challenge you, right? There was, it was a challenge. That's for sure. So, and I love that you did one too, working on initiations and drawing down the moon and cones of power. That isn't stuff you see or read a lot about. No, uh, a lot of times I used to wonder, am I doing this right? What should I do? The cone of power was one that really fooled me a lot. I mean, the cone of power is really just about kind of raising energy in your sacred space and then releasing it at a certain time to get the results you want magically. But I would read books and it would just say, build the cone of power. And that was yeah. the only instructions in the book, not any ideas on how to build the cone of power, what the cone of power was. I was just expected to know what the cone of power was. And for a long time, I just kind of overlooked it because I was embarrassed because I really didn't know what they were talking about. And on a walk with my wife once, and my wife's a much smarter and better witch than I'll ever be. Aww. She just doesn't write books, but you know, I was like, one day I want to build the cone of power and ritual. And she's like, we do that every time, you idiot. You know? <laughs> so uh, I thought, like, if I'm having trouble, maybe other people are having trouble. So that's I brilliant. Yeah. Gr growing up on, I think the show was called Get Smart. When I would first hear cone of power, you picture this big plastic thing coming down over your head where you can't hear it. You're too young, probably, that cone of power. It's a get smart thing. <laughs> it had nothing I, to do I with witchcraft or power. 
I remember Don Adams well, though. It was in good Don smart. Adams, yes. And yeah. I think it was called The Cone of Power. I am not sure. I'm sure my producer in the background going, yes, no. What are you talking about? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so what is next for you? I am writing a book called uh, the, the Witch's Guide to the Greek Gods. Oh. And I have like one section left to write in that book. So that's almost done. And then after that, I'm con I'm contractually obligated to write a biography of Raymond Buckland. For ah. So I'm writing that with the cooperation of his estate. So that's pretty exciting. But that'll be a real challenge because I've never written a biography before. I mean, I yeah. just feel like that's a different tool set, different skill set than just writing a regular book. So we'll see how that goes. That's going to be a long, slow process because I want to get as much information as I can before, you know, I sit down to really write it. So that's a long way off. And then I'm also going to write a Wicca 101 book because I feel like, because I'm with somebody else and we've been talking about that. And then maybe a companion piece to the Horn God of the Witches called The Great Goddess of the Witches. So super busy writing all the time. That is awesome. That is really good. Yeah, Raymond Buckland. I mean, again, when you're first in the craft, it's it's Raymond Buckland, or that's what I remember, the, one of the first books I had. But still, I didn't know what to figure out what to do with at the time. I wanted to move on to, like, Scott Cunningham or something, because, like, ah, you know, when you're a baby witch. You know, you had that, you had the big blue book, right? That's, that's the big, one I had. Yeah, big blue and it book. Looks I, it's still on my shelf somewhere. Yeah, I have it just right behind me somewhere. It looks like a workbook that you would get in elementary school, and it, it almost kind of has that to it. Um, it it completely yeah. does but it did not hold my interest like other stuff did it's a but, it's a little clinical i think in places yeah. some of his other stuff i think is easier to read and he tries to cover so much information in that book and sometimes he succeeds and then sometimes he just says build the cone of power without <laughs> with power. a little diagram yeah. yeah cone of silence uh the gods behind the counter, the, the Get Smart was Cone of Silence, not Cone of Power. But I still picture the Cone of Silence when I first heard Cone of Power. Yeah. And I work with lots of versions of that, even with like non-witches, non-pagan people. And people, it's like, let's let's build some energy here. Let's build some energy and show them how to do it without all the rigmarole that goes with it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that we can we create energy very often without thinking about it in certain situations. You know, like you can walk in. Sometimes at a concert when everybody's having that sh that shared experience of being into the music, you know, really focused on one thing. I mean, it's tangible. You can feel it around you. I'm the weird witch who watches sports, uh, which, you know, horrifies some of my friends. But sometimes like when I'm watching sports, especially in an arena, you can feel something that's really close to like witch ritual because mm -hmm. everybody is exerting all of this energy. And it's usually focused on one particular thing. Yeah. It, it it is the same. It's it, it's the build of what it is, you know. It's um, my vampire friends, my positive vampire friends. That's what they they feed on. Not blood. They don't suck people's blood. It's that life force, you know, of crowds, of a concert. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You're bringing that energy into you. You know, other one other place I felt it, and this is really strange, is I felt it at a I had a boss who was an evangelical, and it was at one of their church services because he always wanted me to go to church with him. He never never changed my mind about anything, but I like to humor him. And you know, they're doing things, and all of a sudden the hands go up, and they're speaking in tongues a little bit, and you know, there's definitely energy there. 
it felt a little different I, from ours, but it's you know really similar. I, it's very similar. I think it is the same energy, whatever title. They just don't do anything with it. That's what I because as I was a seeker, I wasn't raised with religion. My grandfather was this big atheist philosopher who studied religion, but but so I'm like I'm going to try Jewish Christian. I'm going to try Jewish background. I'm going to try Buddhism, and. And the evangelicals, I, I went, what I didn't like about them for me personally is, is like, well, now I'm going to go talk to a Buddhist. And they said, well, you can't talk to a Buddhist. That's a sin. Talk to us about Buddhism. I went, yeah. mm, no. But that, the, that, that their, their cone of whatever, that, wow, rolling around on the floor. It's like, oh, my God, that is the energy. They just don't do anything with it. Well, we'll put it into a spell working or we'll put it into it energy to do whatever we choose to do they just enjoy the hell out of it which is okay too <laughs> yeah but yeah it's so charged i mean you can i mean it's it's a it's completely different than what a lot of people think it is yeah. you know yeah it's good to have those experiences yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's what I, I think that energy is um so I can't, I can't wait to read this. Again, I just got it. It's like hot off the press, hot off my book. So what are some of the other things that you'd like to talk about? My people who are going, hmm, I'm new to this horn god thing. Who is this new guy? Again, I have a bunch of people just discovering the path. Um, what's one thing that you think that people go, oh, wow, this is a good reason I should get this book or learn about this? You know, this, like, you know, you watch reviews and you should never read your reviews when you write a book because it'll like break your heart because there's always people who hate it. Right. And one of the things people hate about this book when I've read the reviews is I mentioned goddesses a couple of times. So there are some horned or antlered goddesses out there. And I think that they're out there for a reason. I think for a lot of people relating to male deity is difficult because of the baggage that we have in society when it comes to male deities. So I think that there are horned female deities in order to help people kind of get through the door. Right. You know, it's maybe it's more welcoming for some people. So there's a little bit in this book about Ellen of the Ways, which is kind of a I don't want to say she's a modern goddess because, you know, how deities evolve is a very complicated thing. Most likely, I don't know for sure, but she's not a goddess that's attested to in mythology. But if you read between the lines a little bit, you can see this figure there, like in the Mabinogian and other places. And she was named in the early 80s by a feminist writer named Caroline Wise. And since then, there's been shirts made with this figure and statues by giant statue companies and people worship her. And when I do Horn God workshops on the road, people always go, Jason, what about Ellen of the Ways? So I was like, well, I have to include this figure in the book, um, which is I think is really great because, you know, I don't think that the Horn God necessarily has to be exclusively always all the time male. It's a deity. It can kind of do what it wants. If you read stories in ancient myths, deities kind of could change their sex when they wanted to and stuff because they're deities and can do whatever they want. There were female representations of Pan in the ancient world. The Celtic Kernonos, who is worshipped in Gaul, which is basically modern-day France, for the most part, there was, he was an antlered god. A lot of times when people think of the horned god, they're looking at something that looks a lot like Kernonos. This picture is very much sort of like Kernonos. Uh, there was antlered female deities found in the same places as Kernonos. And it could be that there was a female version of Kernonos or he had a wife or a daughter. It's hard to say, but I think it's interesting that these things are out there and give people avenues into entering the mysteries of the Horned One. 
So I'm happy to have that in my book and really proud of it, even though there's a small group of people who really hate that part of it. That's okay. There's I have not, I should bring it over, not 10 feet away from me, I have one of my big ritual crowns, and that's horns. I, I, I'm looking at all these girly things, of which I have all the girly things, like, oh no, there's power in this. This is what I need in this for right now. Yeah. Put on yeah. horns. It's good. <laughs> any of us can. Any of us can wear horns. They're not limited, right? We can all do it. And yep. I do. I think wearing horns is empowering. I mean, I've got some head garb with antlers, and I've got head garb with. Goat oh yeah, mine's horns. antlers. Yeah. Yeah. So. So okay, yeah. Hold on, I can't not do it. Go like this for a second, so people won't notice I step away. Wait. Ah! <laughs> you know. These are my goat horns, uh, antlers right there. Do this, it's kind of like a giant moose, you know? It's all kinds of different things. And moose antlers are antlers. Horns! Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Isn't this fabulous? I love it. That is fantastic. <laughs> I probably just threw it on my head completely wrong. I just pulled it out of a bag. I'm just trying to keep it from my puppy, which is not good, easy to keep anything from my puppy. But just like... There's something about powerful. Again, whatever you relate this to, there is so much power in it. Just like I come from a theatrical background, acting background, mask work, mask work. You know, the shy new actor or whatever. It's like, but you put on a mask and you get to be somebody else. You get to do something else. It's it's, it's the same thing. It's an empowering thing. So everybody yeah, gets I, some horns. <laughs> I often think like when I do ritual I'm putting on a mask, right? Because I'm not just Jason anymore. I'm Jason the person doing ritual, right? Yeah. And you're empowered when you do ritual and you know that especially if you do a large ritual that you have to do things differently. You have to talk slower. Your your you know movements have to be big and deliberate because you want to connect with everybody in the crowd and I don't ever want to say rituals are performance because it's a spiritual endeavor and a magical endeavor. But there is a performance aspect to it as well if you're really going to do it right when you're doing it with people. Yeah. yeah. And you have to add that. It, it's again, it's speak to your audience. I, you know, if you're talking to two people, you talk like this. If you're talking to 200 people, you can't talk like this. So and it's it's performance in that aspect aspect so um so do you in your do, how much do you bring this into your practice your craft into your whether or not the horn god or your, your deities um and your day-to-day -day life is it just who you are or your way of being i've just been starting to ask people that it's not like you know old school you go to church on sundays and and there you are is this how much of your lifestyle is just pagan a witch wiccan constant girl? it's all i do i don't have a don't have a you know a regular job you know, I just write witchcraft books for the most part, do witchcraft lectures. Yeah, it permeates my whole life. Uh, our bar with like my wife and our whiskey uh, snobs and have a large amount of whiskey at the house because we're kind of connoisseurs. But on the top of that bar are two altars, right? Or there's two, you know, where we leave libations for the gods when we open up a new bottle, we pour them something. You know, I garden pretty obsessively now and when I'm gardening, I'm connecting with higher powers in my backyard. We have nine altars in our house scattered everywhere. We have an entire room dedicated to ritual and witchcraft. You know, I don't think that it's all that I am. You know, I can go out with, I have friends who aren't witches and I can hold conversations with them and live in both worlds. But, you know, it's a constant presence in my mind. I'm just not celebrating 
witchcraft on the Sabbaths or under a full moon. It is a constant thing that is always there. You know, whether or not there's incense going in the house or not, it's always there somewhere. Yeah, me too. And we don't hide it. Everybody knows, you know. Yeah, good. I love that. So just here's another weird question before. I I know a lot of people who work with a specific deity. I've never been a, I'm a Hakate girl or this girl or that girl. But I know a lot of people who do work with certain deities. This is my patron or this is my matron deity. Some of the gods or goddesses get persnickety, let's say. I One of yes. my friends has a, a, a beautiful witchcraft shop, and it is all dedicated to Hakate. That's what it is. This is what the shop is. That is what his belief system. He brought in, like, Baphomet or something, and Baphomet started a fire. Or, no, Hakate started a fire. I was like, huh. So <laughs> do you have possessiveness with your porn god <laughs> You know, I don't really feel as if they're possessive for the most part. Like the gods that we honor the most in our house, specific named gods, Cronos, uh, Pan, and Dionysus. Pan and Dionysus hung out together in the ancient world with a lot of frequency. Cronos is shown in a lot of ancient art standing next to or sitting next to Apollo and Hermes. So these are deities that seem to like the presence of other deities, and then Aphrodite likes the presence of other deities. She's very much honored at our house. Persephone's another one. She, too, is usually in the company of other deities. And Aradia is in the company of immortals, of mortals and other deities. So they all seem to get along pretty well, you know, and we pay them, you know, their own individual honors and recognize them as individuals. So I feel like it's pretty good. But I do think that sometimes you can bring in deities that don't agree with each other. Or perhaps you're trying to stick this deity into like a space that it's not comfortable with. And I think that can have repercussions. And again, talk to the deity, leave it libations, you know, have a relationship with it before trying to make a deity do something or stay in a certain place. Right. Just like people. You know, right. yeah. DDs are people too. You know, respect, ask them. I go, and I do think that's what, with with my friend. It's just because it is so Hikati that was like, what? You know, it's, it, they didn't have the conversation. They didn't have the conversation. And um, and Baphomet is kind of a different sort of deity too, anyways, right? I mean, that's that's really introducing the wild card. That's yeah. not saying here. Let's have Demeter and Persephone, you know, kind Come of sit out. with you in this space. No, yes. let's have Baphomet sit with you in this space. <laughs> okay, you have a point there. You have a point. Um, so, yeah, and the two together, it was like, wee, but everybody, everybody survived. Um, I, we don't have much time. I have lots of questions I could love to ask you about all of your books, but so I'll just have to have you back. I would love to be back. This has been really fun. This is really fun. So we could finish each other's thoughts some more. Um, and I'll get copies of your other books and look at them. But where can people find you? Where can people find your book, all of your books? And where can they find you? I know you have different blogs and things. So tell, and social media. And I'm lucky that I'm published with Llewellyn. So I should be in most places where witchcraft books are sold. I think it's really important to buy books from your local witch store. So if you can, try to buy there. If they don't have the book, you can order. You can ask them to order it, which is good for them. It'll be good for you eventually, and it'll probably get my book in the store long term. So that's great too. But I mean, it's on Amazon. It's on you know Barnes and Noble sometimes. You know, it's pretty much available everywhere online. I'm Pan Mankey for the most part. P A N M A N K E Y on Instagram and Twitter. 
Jason Mankey on Facebook. I am scared to jump into the world of TikTok, so I am away from there for now. I'm a Gen X kid. It's going to take me a long time to catch up to that. I'm just finally catching up to Instagram. And I also write online at a blog called Raise the Horns. So lots of places. If you if you Google Jason Mankey, I'm the first thing that comes up. If you go deep into the Jason Mankey search results, you'll find a Christian minister with my same name. That guy probably hates me. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, well, that is delightful for So everybody look for Jason Mankey. Um, I can't wait till next time. So thank you. Thank you. Everybody find your horns. <laughs> thank you for visiting the witching hour. Paranormal Network.